you're listening to the Fearless Business Podcast. You're in the best place to learn about how to grow a business, get more clients, and make more money without fears and limitations, all while having fun in the process. Robin Waite is the founder of Fearless Business, a business accelerator helping coaches, consultants, and freelancers double their income and more. Now here's your host, Robin Waite. Welcome back, everybody. It is the next episode of the Fearless Business Podcast. I'm your host, Robin Waite, Fearless Business Coach. Uh, We have got an interesting guest on today. This is going to be a competition from who can say the word fuck the most amount of times. (laughs) Um, I've got a straight-talking Kiwi called Lena Robinson uh, on as a guest today. So welcome to the show, Lena. Hello. (laughs) So your business is called FTSQ, which stands for Fuck the Status Quo. Uh, Give us a bit of an insight about what you get up to at FTSQ. So FTSQ uh, is a business consultancy, but it's not like any business consultancy that most people have ever come across because, uh, well, especially with a name like Fuck the Status Quo, um, we specialise in working with non-conformists. So pretty much people that are square pegs and round holes um, and people that think in squiggly lines instead of straight lines. Yeah, that's pretty much it. (laughs) Yeah. Cool. And um, in terms of like from a consultancy perspective, just give us an idea about exactly kind of what, what you help people to achieve, what are the goals and outcomes you help them to, 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 to get to. Sure. Well, um, you know, most, most businesses at some point or another often will maybe hit a plateau or they'll maybe hit a wall and they kind of sometimes don't know how to necessarily get through to the next level. Um, And there's three kind of areas. There's the business part of it, which will be looking um, at a business audit of some description, taking it through that audit and looking at what's broken and needs fixing, where the gaps are maybe in either processes or people or what have you, and also looking at the untapped potential that's often in a business. So it's, it's uncovering it first. And then from there, working out what needs to be done about it. And we either look at fixing it ourselves, so the consultancy, or what's called the FTSQ Collective, which is a group of strategic partners that do what we don't do, because what we don't try and do is pretend we can do everything. Um, And then we also have a community that goes beyond that, so we reach out to the community. So there's always a way of being able to deal with whatever we uncover. Um, but there's also the person that's running it as well. So what I specialise personally myself is the the leadership and development of the actual owner of that business. And because I am a bit of a maverick, I kind of work quite well with that sort of creative, non-conformist brain type person and help them basically get the fuck out of their own way. Um, so that's me uh, and that side of things. But my background is very, has been agency and branding and marketing, so I'm quite strong in that kind of field as, as There's well. There's obviously a bit of a story behind how you kind of came to adopt the whole non-conformist kind of movement uh, as, as your own and something that, like, w- would you say that was uh, something which you were born with as a, you were, you always knew you're a non-conformist yeah. or did you kind of, and I'll share my story in a second, but did, was there a point when you were like, no, no, I'd fuck this. I've just had enough of this. I'm going to go down my own path and start on this non-conformist route. Um, well, I mean, I was born of, of two parents that have always owned their own businesses. So there's been, always been a little bit of there, but 
you know, my mum's a Jehovah's Witness and my dad is a dope-smoking hippie. So I couldn't help but be a bit of a (laughs) non-conformist. And throughout my, you know, so having those two very different, you know, lives couldn't kind of couldn't help but be there. So in one half of my life, I was bought, I was a JW and went door knocking and all that kind of thing, which is why I can sell the fuck out of anything. They didn't and, um, make you do it on Christmas Day, did they, by any chance? No, not at all, actually, weirdly enough. <laughs> and I wasn't made to do anything. But on the And then uh, halfway through my 20s, I threw, threw, I don't want to say threw in the towel because it wasn't about that, and have a very great amount of respect for that life and my mother and everything that she believes in. But on the other hand, I always felt my personality was way too big for the well, I don't want to say constrictions, but it was, it was constrictions, um, for it. And my, my dad always had people coming in and out of our lives that were artists and creatives. And, you know, we had people that used to drop in that were band members and my dad was a musician and there was, there was always really weird creative people always coming in and out of our household all the time. You know, we had gypsy type people that would, you know, live on farms with no, no electricity and have beehives and, do weird stuff and you know we always have people like that coming in and out of our lives so I've always had that affinity and I get that from my dad and my dad and I joke about that still now all the time and so I did get that love of the non-conformist uh from him really Um, I would say that that like Jehovah's Witnessing is is uh going around door knocking for the you know selling the bibles and things like that it's one of the hardest sales jobs out there it's harder I would say than being an estate agent harder than the card salesman and definitely harder than selling double glazing windows yeah I've Um, <laughs> on me, I've had. I mean, you. Learn, that's one of the things that, um, weirdly, that's why you and I've talked about the fearless thing. Um, I have no fear. You know, when you've had to stand up your whole life and fight um, for that thing at school and being able to explain to people why you don't. I mean, I do celebrate Christmas now, but you know why I don't celebrate Christmas from the age of like nut, you know, five at school and explain those kinds of things and why you didn't, you know, you've had to stand up your whole life and stand out as different and be the nonconformist and explain to people different things, but also go knocking on doors. And, and it wasn't, I wasn't forced by the way, anyone, mum didn't make me do that. I chose to because dad and him who always said, you have a choice. You can be like dad or you can be like mum. I was always allowed to be whatever. And so were my brothers. So uh, there was never any forcing. I chose to do it. Um, I also chose to leave. So, you know, uh, but um, which is why I still have some, have respect for my mum and what she believes and, and what have you. But at the same time also chose that I couldn't fit in those boxes that I desperately wanted to fit into because they're good, kind, decent people and honourable people, but just couldn't live like that anymore. So I have several times in my life thrown hand grenades into my life and that was one of them because I had to turn my back on everybody and never spoke to any of my friends ever again. Gosh. And you, um, it's interesting how you talk about your parents because one of the things you you did was you helped rescue your parents' business at one point as well. So yeah. talk to us about that how that a, came about. Yeah. So I, st- I mean, I started working, I left school at the age of, um, uh, just before I was 18 and didn't go to university. So that's definitely one of my non-conformist things. And I was an A student, by the way. I was an excellent student. So it wasn't because I wasn't smart enough. Um, and I had been working for quite a while f- for an entrepreneur and my parents, um, business was in trouble. And, um, at the age of, I think I was, how was I, 24, I think, um, 
my parents' business was about to be put under by what you guys would call the HMRC, but we call Inland Revenue in New Zealand. And I was 24 years old and um, they were in the shit. And my parents are brilliant craftspeople, but they weren't particularly good at running businesses at that point. And um, yeah, they were about to lose everything and um, house and what have you. And I basically had to leave my job and go in as finance director for the business and negotiate with the Inland Revenue and all of their creditors and trade them out. And it took me two years, but I traded them out of it. That's pretty amazing 20, to be able to do that at 24. Um, you know, most 24-year-olds are kind of just coming fresh-faced out of university. And uh, even those that have businesses nece- haven't necessarily um, faced, you know, uh, HMRC or inland revenue investigations yeah. and the really harsh parts like of the business reality. They'd, um, already lost, they'd already lost one business in our family home in the 1980s, so I knew what was on the line. Yeah. And, it, and it's, um, so what sort of, um, so how long ago are we talking then? So that's sort of 30 odd years ago, is that, it? Uh, no. So when that happened, oh, well, the first time it happened, yeah, it was in the, it was in the eighties. That was a long, long, long time ago. But when, um, so when the second time came around, that would have been, oh, how old am I now? So that would have been about 23 years ago. Yeah. 23 years ago. Cool. So late 1990s. Yeah. That was, um, it's funny actually. I mean, that, that was a really great time because that was obviously the, I would say, call that the dawn of the internet age, albeit, you know, that started in early, yeah, the early 1990s. So yeah. do you think there was an element as well about sort of good timing, your fresh faced 24 year old, you're able, you know, younger generation able to adopt technology and things like that. Do you think an element of that helped? Uh, did that help? Um, I don't know if that had anything to do with it because my parents' business was actually a landscaping business. So, okay. uh, no, not really. No, I d- no, it was more about processes. You know, when you get people that are, I mean, and it's not like that my parents are intelligent either. I mean, my dad's got a bachelor of arts, uh, history, uh, sorry, bachelor of arts degree in, um, art history and anthropology. I mean, he's a fucking smart bloke, but, um, He's also a landscape art designer and and uh, not trained not trained as a landscape designer, but you know, but also knows how to build anything with his hands. You know, very smart man, but also an amazing craftsman. Um, makes beautiful, beautiful stuff, and and ended up. I mean, his business was the I think the second largest. Um, landscaping business in the country he used to build all the stars places so he was very good at what he did just not very good at running businesses and used to get (laughs) fucked over by people all the time which is why he was in trouble because um a big uh a big um he'd done a big job and the guy had sold the property and fucked off into australia and disappeared and not paid any of the bills so that's why he was in trouble so it was lack of process um they had basically was doing the jobs um, uh, and was the, the guy was changing on the plans all of the time and not getting it signed off that the ch- plans were changing and then didn't, was paying some of the bills and then when he got to all the changes basically said, oh, well, you didn't have any proof that I've changed anything so you can go jump for all the changes and just didn't change anything. But because he, and so I went in and I changed all the processes. Nobody then went on site and was allowed to make any changes without getting it signed off. I changed everything. 
Amazing. And, and there's something as well, which you said there about sort of, um, you know, him, your, your father being super bright. You, you said you're an A student. I like to think that I'm relatively clever um, or smart. But there's something I think about a link between intelligence and the nonconformist side of things that people underestimate. Um, if, if actually you look at the sort of the super rich or the big business owners, Elon Musk is a prime example. Steve Jobs, like these amazing creative minds who just have visions way beyond what most people can kind of comprehend. Um, they actually have the ability to, because of that, that approach, like no bounds approach of essentially changing the world. Imagine if somebody had said to Elon Musk, you know, when he was a spotty 12 year old, no, you'll never be able to put a rocket you know, on Mars. Mm. You know, imagine where we'd be right now. We wouldn't be watching these amazing launches, which he's doing off, the, off Cape Canaveral, send, sending you know, men up to the space station for a tenth of the price that NASA used to be able to, to send it up there. But everybody would look at Elon Musk, at Steve Jobs and people like that and say, those guys are definitely nonconformist. They, they yeah. are definitely fucking the status quo. Yeah. And that's my day. And to be fair, the only reason, and we're leaving my mum out of the picture of this quite a bit as well, you know, my dad wouldn't have got anywhere near as far as he would have done in business if it wasn't for my smart, the smarts of my mother. You know, she can sell ice to Eskimos. You know, you want to see a salesperson? You meet my mother. She can sell anything. You know, she was the, she was the first person in New Zealand to run the sales team for Sky TV. And we were talking awesome. the other day, you know, she was constantly being told by Sky TV how to do processes and she just used to, she just used to go, yes, sir, no, sir, and then just ignore them and run her sales team the way she wanted. And that's why she had the best sales team in the country because she just used to ignore their bullshit. Do you think, because obviously a lot of the people who are watching this, are, you know, they're, they're, they're sort of small one-man bands, essentially, coaches, consultants, and freelancers. And, and again, I liken them, I wouldn't say they're necessarily non-conformists, but they definitely fit into the super bright, um, you know, they get amazing results for their clients, but they totally underestimate their value, uh, undersell themselves, only end up doing like four or five days worth of kind of paid work a month, yeah. if you like it to that. And then scratching their heads at the end of the month going, where's all my money gone? And I do wonder sometimes whether a lot of small business owners tend to conform because they're afraid of like what the consequences of not conforming, you know, what that might look like. So what advice would you give to somebody to start to kind of break the bounds, break the status quo? And what, what are the, what are the good things which they can kind of expect out of, you know, starting to think more like a nonconformist? I did make the mistake having, because we haven't talked about this, but I have had the career in the big corporate world and um, tried, I was talking to my dad about this the other night actually, I tried really hard to fit the mould. I tried really hard to conform and fit in the lines and, you know, do what everybody's supposed to do and behave and all the rest of it. Fuck, it was awful. Ah. <laughs> uh, it was soul destroying and the most, the defining moment for me was leaving my last corporate job and just going, nah, just do what my gut tells me is the right thing to do. You know, you guys, you guys probably know in your heart of hearts and in your guts, you probably know what is right. Yeah. You need to trust your instincts. And the reason you've gone out on your own is because you probably did know better. 
You had bosses that were frustrating you. You had systems that weren't fucking working right. And okay, you might not know everything yet, but, and there's things, still things to learn. And don't get me wrong, my last business, I had things that I've learned from that one, that mistakes that I made, that this time around, I haven't made. This time around, my first year, even though I was um, ill, which we haven't talked about yet, but this, this business in my first year, I made three times the amount of money in a year that I was sick than I did the last business in a full year of being well. Holy crap, because I made so much mistakes in that last business. So don't don't worry about the fact that you'll make mistakes. It's okay, but just listen to your gut instincts because, yes, there was a defining moment. It was leaving the corporate world and leaving that behind and just trusting myself. Yeah, I had a similar sort Trust of thing happened yourself. for me twice. I had mm. a, um, I mean, I had a job out of um, straight out of school as a, a systems analyst, and so I used to turn up in my little white shirt and do the system stuff, and basically just um, ended up building somebody else's dream. Albeit the the business director was he it was a medical devices company, so he he um, brilliant brain on him when it came to product development, but he was just an idiot when it came to running the money. So he'd go off on a trade mission to China where we were getting some of the components made and blow 30 grand on his Amex and come back and wonder why there was no money left in the business. So, and he couldn't pay me anymore. I worked there for four years and I started doing a business on the side, buying and selling laptops. Actually, I don't really talk about it. It's a great deal, but, and I know this is about you, Nina. So we'll come back to you. Don't worry. It's, it's relevant. <laughs> right. um, Cause this, this is, my, this is my, my fuck the status quo story. So, um, and it's my podcast as well. You know, I can do this. So, so anyway, I, I started buying and selling these graded laptops that construction sites used to use. So they were high, um, like, re, like high-end laptops, basically five, six K a pop. Now, this is like 25 years ago, 20 years ago. And um, he came in one day and caught like on the back end of a call, he, the business was going down the pan and um, he heard me do a deal for 30 laptops, you know, worth 150K and I was going to make a big chunk, chunk of change out of this. And he, he revoked my privileges for using compute, the computer and the phone on work time. So I literally did that to him and I said, well, if that's your attitude, if you're not going to pay me any more money, and we did have an agreement that I could do this because you couldn't pay me any more money, um, I'll be handing my notice in tomorrow. And he was already begging for me to stay by the time I got to the door. Um, and um, that was the first bit where I, I like started to take a bit of control of my life. But then I set up the agency, started to fall into the, t- the, t- the status quo patterns again. You know, um, what do people want of a, of a marketing agency? All nice little, you know, check blue and white shirt and, you know, the chinos and all that sort of thing. And I did that for years. When I started the coaching practice or, or back end of that, I started sort of just turning up in jeans and t-shirt and I just thought, fuck it. Actually, I, I don't feel comfortable being that, you know, let the guys with the gray hair wear their suits and their ties and be the smart people. And like, I, I look back at some of my YouTube videos from that time when I'd like, you know, the button up shirt and stuff. And I was like, God, I look, Oh, so embarrassing. I still get some nice comments. People like the content, which is good, but I just think it's a journey though, isn't it? And and now and now I remember going into I did my first talk as a coach where I got um, filled up the room with a hundred people. And and I said that story. I said, you know, don't ex- I'm a business coach, but don't expect like the same result. I'm not the guy with the suited and booted and the gray hair. And this guy got out to leave and I looked at the suit and booted gray hair and I was like, oh fuck, I've just gone in this. And I said, don't be offended. Like I'm not here to offend anybody. I said, it's, this is just, you know, my this is my outlook on business. And do you know what? Um, every time, so I used to wear, before I got my branded t-shirts made, I used to wear Salt Rock t-shirts, right? 
and I think this is the this was a defining moment. Whenever somebody else used to show up to one of my events wearing a Salt Rock T-shirt, people would be like, "Oh, look at you trying to compete with Robin, are you?" So it's like that brand, <laughs> that differentiation, that stepping out on your own, so so important. Yeah, I agree. I mean, people people will often say to me, "Oh, you're not scared. You're going to scare people off with a name like that." I'm going fucking great. They're the wrong type of people. Like if they yep. don't get me, they're, they're not going to want to work with me. It's fine. Great. Great. That's half of the dickheads gone already. Fantastic. <laughs> <laughs> Wonderful. Nobody, nobody needs dickheads in their business. <laughs> no. It's, it, 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 it's very clear. On my LinkedIn prof, um, header for the business, the only tagline it says is we don't work with dicks. End of story. <laughs> it's definitely the best way and I, the thing is as well like people people kind of know where they stand as well it's like you take a simple marketing con, uh, con, um, idea around um, like niching for example and, and one, one of my biggest things like biggest bugbears is people say you say who's your target market and they go SMEs and they're very proud of it I'm, I've worked it out that the, the not answer a target is SMEs, audience I'm Jesus like great <laughs> here we go the six million businesses registered in the UK um, how many of those businesses are L business businesses, i.e. large, right? And the number is remarkably small. It's only 40,000. So I'm like, basically, when you say your target market is SMEs, you're like all of the businesses. That's not a fucking target yeah. market. That is everybody. Yeah. And, um, you know, but they're just too afraid of, of people saying no. I think that fear of rejection is one of the, um, one of the strongest um, things in business that is going to fuck you over, basically. Yeah, for me, it's not even a fear of rejection. I want them to self-select out. I just want the, the four people that want to say yes just to turn up to my door. That's all I care about. I could give a shit about the other 30,000. Four people just turn up and they're all ready to say yes, fucking great. <laughs> there we go. Yeah, that's, Here's that's, the check done. <laughs> there's, a, there's an element of this as well, because I know that obviously um, one of the things which you've talked about in your group is about being a woman in business. And mm. I, I, we're not obviously going to go down the feminist you know, um, oh, man bashing anyway. type <laughs> approach, you know, and it, I guess it's no different. You live in the UK, you're a Kiwi here in the UK. Um, so you probably get that gets referenced quite a lot, you know, um, yeah. what, what are your, what are your thoughts about kind of, um, you know, being a woman, you know, a Kiwi woman working here in the UK and running a business? It's a really interesting one because, um, well, New Zealand was the first country in the world to uh, get the female vote. So we've been well ahead of our time anyway on all of that. And I think as a result of that, it's um, maybe that in the co as a culture. And I think as a result of also the way I was brought up, I was brought up not being treated any differently by my parents to my two brothers. So I'm the oldest and I have two younger brothers and we were taught exactly the same. So my two brothers were taught how to cook and clean and look after the house in the same way that I was taught how to do that. But I was also taught how to swing a hammer and how to build a house and how to drive a tractor and drive my dad's trucks and do anything else. And I was not emotionally treated any different either. So we all three of us own our own businesses or three of us do everything. If anything, I'm more confident more driven and more everything than my brothers. And I never thought of myself differently. So when I go into a boardroom, I don't have the thought of, 
or what if they don't listen to me because I'm a girl? Like if a guy tries to talk over to, over me in a boardroom, I just talk fucking louder. And if he tries to put me down, I'll fucking put him in his place. So just, just, just a mental headspace. So I have had to, as a woman, start to understand my fellow women a little bit better. I used to get quite dismissive and go, oh, fucking just deal with it. Just grow the fuck up, women. And that's bullshit. That's really crap of me to do that. So as a woman, as I've got older, I've had to be a bit more understanding to other women because I was a bit dismissive of it, actually. And that's a bit naughty of me. So because of the way I was brought up, I was just like, there is no fucking glass ceiling, only if you think there is, which to a little bit of a degree is, is part of it. So no, don't be a victim. But at the same time, yeah, there is shit that goes on. So I don't see myself as a feminist. I see myself as a humanist as the way I was brought up and I will always be that way inclined. But as I've got older, I've become more understanding of there is inequality happening and it's a bit crap and all the rest of it. But at the same time, I don't like separatism. So I struggle with all female networking groups, although weirdly just recently I've joined one, but it's a New Zealand female networking group, which is quite different. And it doesn't play to the thing that I don't like, which is the victim mentality thing, because I can't bloody stand that. But at the same time, um, I kind of just, yeah, I just kind of think just let's all be bloody good at what we do and let's crack on. Yeah. I think that's it. I mean, which I get, it, people get, can be a bit annoyed with me about that sometimes. Yeah, but I get, <laughs> and, and I'm, I'm kind of with you on that. I think like you, like everybody, everything's, it's all fair and love and war or whatever the saying is, you know, everything is, everything is equal unless you have, start telling yourself a story that it's unequal. And if yeah, you but then to start not, believing but, that but, story. But to not acknowledge that there is inequality going on was something I was um, not, was something I was um, definitely doing. I wasn't acknowledging that it was going on because it wasn't happening to me because men don't treat me like that. They're too scared to because I'm bold and I'm bolshy and they don't dare treat me like that. So because I wasn't experiencing, I wasn't acknowledging and that's bad on my part. Yeah. I've learnt that I now need to acknowledge it because it is happening to other women and I'm talking before the Me Too because no man has ever tried that shit because I'd fucking have him on the floor. He'd be out. And he wouldn't even dare try that shit on me. In fact, so, what, a couple of guys have tried that, and I'm not joking, they've been flawed. No and crap. Good for you. I would do yeah, the same no, as well. I'd de- I would deck any man that tried that shit. But lots of, I know, of course, lots of women aren't brought up like that. It's just yeah. the way my dad brought me up. It's the way my mum brought me up, and it's the way I've always been handled. My brothers have taught me that shit as well. But I know that is not the case, and um, yeah, it's, that, it's a that hard, acknowledgement, I think, I've is had the, to learn. That acknowledgement, I think, is the key thing here, and kind of, kind of bringing it back round, sort of full circle, back to non-conformists. There's probably a lot of um, I, I can't think of a better phrase for this: closet non-conformists who are worried about how they're going to be perceived. Which um, is why FGSQ exists, because one of the things that I've done my entire life, um, right since I was a little whippersnapper. I have protected kids against bullies all my life and I've continued to do it um, and noticed the quiet non-conformists throughout my career and I have taken them under my wing and I've protected them and I've looked after them and it's really the reason why I've set up FTSQ because I have seen so many brilliant non-conformists beaten down emotionally by teachers, by parents, by bosses, by um, professors and sometimes even by unintentional family members and what have you 
because they simply didn't understand how to get the best out of them. And I thought, I really want to create a organization because FTSQ isn't just a consultancy. That's just the bit that makes me, makes me money. FTSQ is really about a community. It's about a place where nonconformists can feel safe to be themselves yeah. and be supported. And that's why FTSQ exists. And it and it it needs to be that way. And I, I think there's also I think it's important to emphasize the fact as well that actually you know you're um, it's not about being out there and being aggressive in front of other people to stand up for yourself or anything like that. Um, you know we we can talk a big a big game here, but actually I've seen what you do in FTSQ and it's done in a really kind of grounding uh, like um, it's done in a, it's done in the best like. Um, What's the word I'm looking for here, Lena? Help me out. It's done in a really nice, graceful way. And it really empowers people who are in that group to actually like just believe in themselves basically. And I think, I think that's totally commendable. There's two, it's really funny. A really good friend of mine, one of my closest friends did my brand positioning, but he based it on my personality. And it's, some people don't always see it in me because I can be be a bit bolty and a bit gobby, but, um, there's two sides of my personality and somebody actually put it in a different way, which I'll explain in a second, but um, the brand sits on two pillars, which is part of my personality. Yes, I'm a maverick, but I am a caregiver by nature. And somebody who only just met me the other day, they said, you're a bloody softy, aren't you? And I said, yeah, <laughs> and I am. And, and it's why I have actually, on trains, when people have been bullied on trains and buses in this country, I have physically stuck myself between the the bastard that's being the bully and the person that's being bullied, and I have physically stuck myself between those two people. I will not put up with that shit. And it's why I will continue to stand and support the brilliant minds and the brilliant nonconformists I want to see them blossom. I want to give them the space. And if I won the lottery tomorrow, I would bench FTSQ consultancy altogether and just keep FTSQ community going because I want to see all those nonconformists shine because they're the the people that are different and unorthodox and weird and they're the people that are going to fucking change the world. 100%, absolutely. they're the most the fun people to work with as well. Yeah, and they won't get the chance if, you know, because there's two types. There are going to be people like me that are loud and bolshy and blah, 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 but there are so many quiet ones that just may not get the chance if they're not supported. Yeah. You know? Well, I, I commend you for the work which you're doing. I think that you, you. you have such a um, an amazing gift which you're able to share through um, Fuck the Status Quo. And I know that there's so much stuff that potentially we could have talked about in the in the episode. <laughs> Uh, that we, you know, we we could sit here and talk all day, Lena, easily. Uh, okay. Listen, if if there are, if any of our listeners are, or people watching the the podcast live are, consider themselves to be non-conformists and they want to learn a bit more about you, um, how can they get a hold of you? Oh, there's a million ways you can get hold of me. I'm on all the socials under Lena Robinson, so uh, Facebook, Twitter. Um, uh, LinkedIn, all those kinds of things. But you can also get us under FTSQ um, on all of them as well. Um, and you can definitely get us on uh, ftsq.co.uk, which is our, um, our website. 
and there's blogs, there's podcasts on iTunes and Spotify's and all that kind of stuff. So cool, excellent. Yeah. So um, that's fuck the status quo. So ftsq.co.uk for the website, and obviously you've got the Facebook group is there if anybody wants to check out your community and the great work which yep, you're doing. You can too. get that through the Facebook. Awesome. Uh, so um, we've got we've got my final question now, which I always <laughs> do forewarn guests about. So, and I know you had some reservations about this one, but um, uh, so we're gonna we're gonna pop you into the fearless business time machine now, Lena, uh, like like Doc and Marty McFly, and you get to punch the date into the um, into the machine to to go back. Not ten years necessarily. It doesn't have to be. You can pick how far back you want to go, okay. but you've got to go back and have a word with yourself. So when is it, and what would you say? Okay, so um, it would go back to the beginning of probably my working life, actually, um, because something that everybody we didn't get into uh, is that um, I've just come off of an entire year of chronic illness and not working and being very, very ill. So, and I'm literally just relaunching FTSQ as a result of that. Um, the word I would have with myself would be about um, taking care of me. It would be about looking after my health, looking after my mental and physical and um, emotional well-being as a whole because although the chronic illness that I've had, which was quite severe, it hit me both physically and neurologically, um, it was off the back of when we're getting down to it, it comes back to um, probably two things, which is high levels of stress, um, adrenal uh, failure, and um, lack of sleep is probably sitting at the heart of all of that. And if you knew the stress levels I had in corporate world and the lack of not sleeping that I've had for many, many years and insomnia and a whole lot of other things, um, and the level of hours that I used to do in corporate world, I could quite easily do a 90-hour week on a regular basis. There were some week, months that I would go six weeks without a day off and doing 18-hour days on a regular basis. That is quite damaging to your body, yeah. and it has had some long-term effects on my health. So, yeah, when it puts you in bed for an entire year, um, and you're coming out of lockdown just well enough when you, everybody then, sorry, when, you, when you're coming off the back of chronic illness and then Boris Johnson says, and now that you've been in bed for a year, you now have to stay in your flat for another three months. Yeah, it's a bit fucked. Um, yeah, so that would but, be what I would say to you're myself. you like a pint of Guinness, Lena. Good things come to those who wait. Uh, yeah. it's, it's one of those things like the whole, the crisis is interesting actually. And I think this is re relatable for many, um, in so much that I think because our routine has been thrown so much out of whack, things like, um, diet, exercise, sleep, our regular work patterns. I mean, I, I know for one, I've been so much more tired during this whole episode than I've ever kind of really felt in my life just because you're just constantly on the go managing children and the work and, you know, wife and, dog yeah. and just trying to fit everything in um uh it's amazing what what a negative impact it can have if you're not careful um and i, I think for a lot of people one of the things which people are going to get out of this crisis is that moment of realization of oh fuck actually i yeah. haven't been looking after myself or contrarily to that you know i have been looking after myself and yeah. now i've lost control of it so many things i think i think what it was and i think this is a learning for everybody 
when you look at your life and you look at the things that stress you out on a daily basis, the reality is when you look at the stuff that's stressing you out, most of it doesn't fucking matter. Nobody's going to die. Yep. You know what I mean? Like if you don't get the X, Y, Z delivered on time or that happen or this happen, who fucking cares? That's the well, one thing it, I've realised. The trouble is, Lena, when I'm moonlighting as a surgeon, there is a chance that some people will deny. <laughs> okay, fair call. Okay. Fair call. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, no, you're right. You're one, totally right. That's I the mean, one that, thing I've learned. Like nothing bothers me anymore. When people I ring say, me up like, and go, I can't do so that much... appointment or I can't do this, I go, it doesn't matter. But, but people put so much pressure on themselves, especially when it comes to business and things like that. And like the world keeps on spinning. Yep. If you don't get that client, who gives a shit? It's, it's you just, actually uh, make a really good point because here was the other thing I've realized. 99% of the pressure that I used to put on myself for client work was actually pressure I was putting on myself. My clients weren't doing it. I was, self in, uh, I was putting self-induced uh, pressures and deadlines on myself, not yeah. the clients. Yeah. And bad. every everybody I work bad, with is, bad, is guilty bad. of that. And it's like yeah. you've got to unpick all of that, yeah. like years worth of like drilling it into themselves that they have to do this nine to five routine or as you were doing 18 hour days. Yeah. And we have to do it for these reasons. And I have to justify it from to make a cause for my existence on this planet and and things like that. Actually, you're you're absolutely yeah. right. I can None tell of, you that the corporate world on the six figure salary was not worth it. No. No. Wasn't worth it. No, and I'm I'm grateful that I've never had to give it a go. And I've worked for a, I've done some coaching with a couple of big businesses. Obviously, I'm not going to name them, but it made me realise actually the people who really matter to me are the 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 one man bands, the coaches, consultants, and freelancers who uh, churning the wheel, every, cranking the handle every single day, not quite getting the results which they want. And when you can fix some of those, you can actually see the difference in them and their business and their clients. And it makes a massive difference. So I know that we're on that. We're on a slightly different, we're on the same journey, I think. Um, you know, trying to change, change people's lives one life at a time. So yeah. Lena, uh, thank you. It's been a real insight to get a bit of a, um, bit more of a background about kind of like what, the journey you've been on over the last sort of 30 years business your family thank you for sharing that it's been been a real pleasure and please everybody do go and check out the ftsq facebook group as well and what lena's been getting up to on our podcast talk me on social guys i'm around all the time (laughs) text me (laughs) (laughs) call me call me I was um, I was doing a tally as we were going. Actually, I don't know if you spotted, but uh, uh, you actually won the F words competition. You you yes. managed to actually you managed thirty seven fucks. Uh, I only managed to give twenty one fucks during that podcast. <laughs> um, so there we go. <laughs> I'm older than you, so I've been doing it longer. <laughs> More practice, excellent. More practice. Lena, thank you. It's been a real pleasure. You're welcome. Yeah.